0: Good morning everyone. Lovely to uh, have the rain come. Very badly needed here. So um, I'd like to continue laying out a little bit of the map of awakening to help orientate our practice within this within this map. Particularly of the foundations of mindfulness, it's called satipatthana. the patana, the foundation or the standing near to that to those practices which quicken awakening. so we uh, explored um, in particular these uh, four Uh, First uh, two of these four foundations, the body, breath, the first one, contemplation of body, the breath, and it goes into more details if one was going to explore more fully and deeply that first uh, foundation into postures and activities, but also uh, beneath the skin into the interiority of the body, and then the impermanence of the body, the elements and the uh, internal organs, and then the breakdown of the body. It's a, a full contemplation, the processes of the body, but for the sake of the gathering and the training of s- samadhi, uh, we've been really focusing more on the body as a, as a place to bring our attentiveness for steadying, and particularly around the rhythm of the breath. And, uh, and then within that, the experience of sensation and feeling tone Second sphere of contemplation. It's called vedana, which uh, which is very powerful for us. That which uh, the impingement of the sensory experience and then the upwelling of our own uh, psychodynamic material carries within it feeling tone, and and that feeling tone has sensation, and that experience for us is tinged with whether it's uh, pleasant to us or unpleasant, or perhaps we don't really notice, because it's more neutral as sensation. In the meditation practice we're learning to be less activated by pleasant and unpleasant, and we're moving more into what we might call more neutral zone, although it's not really, but as a foundation to help calm the reactivity, which, for example, around breath is a more neutral sign to contemplate and to be with again, helping to calm and steady. And then last night, beginning to open the meditation, talking about this territory of vipassana, insight, also one of the factors of enlightenment, dhamma vichaya, which means to investigate the way things are, dhamma, the dharmas, the thingness of reality. So in the vipassana, the, the awareness is more open, may still be rooted, and connected and advise for it to be rooted and connected with this foundation of the samadhi, breath, presence, body. But there's a more open awareness which allows us to meet the experience of what unfolds through this awareness that has a contemplative aspect or a discerning aspect or an inquiring aspect as to what's present now. And this begins to bring in the third and fourth spheres of the foundations. The third one being about mind itself or the jitta in particular. The jitta is translated sometimes mind-heart, but it's that which is affected by the impingement that we feel and particularly is patterned, if you like, patterned by conditioning, social, family, um, karmic, conditionings um, learnt uh, memory, memory from learnings that are often very profound for us uh, start to pattern and condition and shape and um, emerge the sense of self and all of that's felt within the jitta the jitta in its natural state as was been mentioned is fundamentally it's pure consciousness it's un um, affected by whatever um, appears within its field, pure awareness, and that awareness, that consciousness, has no ultimately spatial or time-bound designation. Just is. Uh, in a way, it's the most intimate core of our beingness. And we recognize the pure jitta, We recognize it as its taste, of peace, immovability. Um, intelligence, reflectiveness. But the jitta is also colored and shaped by this momentum of the patternings that have gone before and also by sensory impingement. It is very sensitive, It's felt, it feels it's that sort of subjectivity. And it's that which is felt that can be contemplated, these different mind states. So in the third foundation, contemplating mind, the jitta affected by in particular, we were looking at the forms of suffering. We can also notice it affected by, say, for example, the indriyas that uh, Jaya talked about on the first evening, the or the um, enlightenment factors, positive positives and supportive energies. But also, probably what is important for us to give inten- attention to uh, is these areas that uh, generate unnecessary uh, suffering for us in the forms as they arise of these hindrances. So we can contemplate the mind affected by, it goes through different lists, and without getting into the list too much, because one can always research that afterwards. There's lots written about it now, lots, many talks into the detail But to just generally have a sense, is the mind now affected by one of these hindrances, for example, by desire, by longing, by wanting, or its opposite, by aversion, resistance, ill will, or by this dullness and wanting to shut down, or by this restlessness and worry and anxiety and agitation, or by this sense of what am I doing here, doubt, sort of undermining our stability. So when we are open in the Vipassana, we can just uh, reflect uh, and notice, yes, the mind is affected by some form of dukkha, some form of agitation, for example. And then in the fourth foundation, it names sort of spheres of templates of contemplation, which sort of begin to scope in our overall experience of all, all experience, but places it within certain templates for us to contemplate. So, for example, one of these templates, which is at the very heart of the Buddhist teaching of the four truths, which will exp- we'll unfold a bit more as the retreat goes on. This basic template is very important for us because it is the overarching template of all of the work. And the Buddha described this very simply when he was asked over and over again, what did he teach? And he just simply said, I teach dukkha and the ending of dukkha. I teach the uh, what gives rise to this experience of dukkha and how to overcome dukkha, how to alleviate that. And this dukkha has a particular meaning. It's uh, It's not necessarily... A, a sort of childish idea that we should be able to get rid of all pains, pains in the body, emotional pain, or the pains of loss, grief. Even the Buddha, when, he, when his two primary disciples died, Mughalana and Sariputta, he said it's like two great trees that fell. You know, and for me, that's if you've ever loved a tree and it falls. When I, when I was a, a nun in England, we had this wonderful ancient tree that I loved and I'd always make a point of going out of my way on the footpath to walk past it and hang out with it and sort of like had a little relationship going with this tree. And then in 1987, we had these really unprecedented hurricanes. We don't usually get hurricanes in Hobbit land, but we had these (laughs) massive hurricanes that came through and uprooted Uh, millions, millions of trees. It was a devastation. All our wonderful old ancient oak trees and new trees and this tree fell and I just felt this tremendous sense of grief and loss. And this is the Buddha using this example to say this is how it is when we lose loved ones. Yes, natural. But then there are ways that we we contribute uh, to the reality of how it is by adding this extra reactivity basically through, as Ajahn Chah said once when he visited one of his disciples in the hospital in Bangkok, Westerners, he was having an operation and I was upset. And Ajahn Chah said, how's it going? And the disciples said, well, oh, it shouldn't be like this. And Ajahn Chah leaned over and he said, well, if it shouldn't be like this, it wouldn't be like this. <laughs> So we're constantly saying to the life and to ourselves, it shouldn't be like this. And it shouldn't be like this, it really should not be like this. We know that, but this is how it is, you know. So it's not to say we shouldn't respond or work to overcome how it is, with you know, through wisdom and compassion, but... We, be, we stand a better chance of doing that more skillfully when we're directly in relationship and listening deeply into how it actually is, beginning with our own process. So this attunement, you know, we in this how it is to come into relationship is the contemplation and the work of mindfulness. First of all, how is it now? In the body, in the feeling tone, the hindrances, the suffering is arising, this is how it is. And then this activity of mindfulness is learning to replace the reactivity, it shouldn't be like this, I want it another way, the struggle with, with, with mindfulness, mindfulness of how it is rather than it shouldn't be like this. So remembering that line from the Sutta, the Mula Sutta, all things, all conditions can be surmounted or, or, or dominated or ruled by mindfulness. It doesn't mean to to sort of repress or to get willful, but it means that we bring into relationship this mindful, contemplative, inquiring awareness. So this is where it said mindfulness is married with and conjunct with sati sampajanya, mindfulness and wise reflection. Sometimes we think of mindfulness of just like a concentration practice like you're just aware of sensations, without that wisdom aspect. So it'd be a bit like driving down the road and you can say, I'm really, really mindful because I can feel the steering wheel, I can feel my butt in the seat and I'm really concentrated, but we've got no global awareness and we drive into a lamppost. But you say, but I was mindful, you know, I was really with all the sensations. <laughs> but that's mindfulness without wisdom, I mean, uh, a cat over a mouse hole is a lot of samadhi and mindfulness. But the intentionality, you know, and so on. So, so this wise reflection is to open and to contemplate. It's willing to allow ourselves to be impinged by life. As I said last night, even to, to be disturbed, because life can disturb us. So rather than resist that, say, yes, here it is, welcome. Let me use this for my contemplation. So ruled by mindfulness, surmounted by wisdom, insight, inquiring, how is it now, and using these foundations, how is it feeling in the body? So particularly when we're working with old patterning, that's associated with fears or anxieties, um, resentments, deep pains, Perhaps nebulous feeling tones, we don't know where they have originated from because they're very, very deep in the early conditioning, developmental conditioning. But they appear to us as a feeling tone within the energetic system of the body as some sort of dukkha. So rather we could sit here, and that's one journey, it's not a bad journey at all, it's a good journey, but it's not the particular journey we're doing here. We could sit and say, why is this? Where did it come from? How can I solve it? So, but rather than trying to cognitively figure out why it is just allowing your awareness, remembering this is the awareness is the path act, uh, activity that, that is um, applying within awareness is this wisdom, natural wisdom, you don't have to go and find it somewhere or read it in a book, it's natural, innate within awareness, bringing breath, attention, awareness to within the body, how is it felt? Constriction, as sensation, as feeling tone. Just allowing the breath to be there, the awareness to be there. So you're going under the radar of the cognitive reactivity. So very, very simple but profound. Breathing and remembering that we're only really asked in this practice to be with just this much here and now. That's all. You know, if you start thinking about it in 20 years or putting it in a time frame, you can activate a lot of stress and striving and disappointment. So it's just this much now. What's, pe- what's present now? Contemplating is there a hindrance? Maybe there's one of the more um, attributes of the um, qualities of awakening, like was mentioned the first night. Faith, concentration energy, effort, calm, equanimity, kindness, these kinds of qualities, noticing those. But in particular, when suffering, dukkha arises, just being willing rather than, oh no, this is a problem, realizing this, these sufferings are a vehicle for awakening. They're the, the goad for our maturing as human beings. And so we must undertake the journey that they bring to us. But to, to undertake that journey with care, with, with, with uh, equipped with, these, with this practice, so it's not just mindless, unconscious suffering and reactivity. Applying moments of attentiveness, breathing with how it is, investigating what is really happening. Noticing sensations, seeing, as is said in the Mula Sutta, that actually even in the midst of all conditions there's already freedom. Vimuttisara dhamma. All things are already free, all conditions at their heart already spacious, already peaceful, already luminous. And this too can be recognized and seen. So coming into a posture you feel comfortable with. Remembering that you can, if you need to adjust your posture, do so. Try to do it quietly if you can. In a posture just to feel that sense of lengthening through the spine, the back of the neck. Opening through the front of the body, softening down through the belly. Softening down through the face and the shoulders. Opening into the palms, down through the legs, to the soles of the feet. And sometimes it's helpful when beginning, if, it, if it's helpful for you, to maybe just take a few slower and deepening breaths. So it really helps to bring you into present, helps the body be filled with breath energy, and breathing out just on the exhalation again, just reminding ourselves to relax this Quan Yin at ease, this heart, this Quan Yin at ease, contemplating the dharmas of our experience. And setting the intention to, we've been practicing this period for about half an hour, maybe a bit less, to set the attention to be as present as we can, to be very patient, perhaps with resistances or difficult feeling tones. And when they arise, just to breathe fully there, our awareness and realizing this is also has arisen for us to bring into the light of our awareness, to release the prisoners of the heart that get locked in through our reactivity, that want to be seen, acknowledged, and met with this kindly, patient presence that is innate, innate within the heart, within our being. So, uh, how's it going? <laughs> Anything you'd like to ask about or mention about the, this practice? Dharma? Uh, yes, then I'll come uh, to you first. Yeah, please. Mm. And so I was wondering if um, yeah, no, I, I think your, the question about um, the experience of longing when it's um, connected both with the human uh, very natural feeling of wanting relationship, intimacy, connection, and then the longing more related in meditation for peace, as supports um, and as expression of your human nature, and also su- as that which is supportive and bring into the practice. I mean, generally speaking, these spheres of hindrances, when they become hindrances, is that is um, when we start to notice that they're generating agitation and suffering. So even in even in the longings for pe- for peace and longings for relationship, there's still often subtly some sort of um dukkha within that so but one but that doesn't necessarily mean to say that it's wrong or bad it just means to say that we can investigate and explore that and look how that could actually translate and and transmute itself into a positive support as you're exploring so for example in the in the in the nature of desire when it becomes informed by wisdom it becomes a quality called chanda, which is one called one of the first um, spiritual powers. And chanda means uh, aspiration. It becomes that which helps support the path. When it's uninformed by wisdom or untransmuted, it's sort of just the d- desire, even for peace, actually subtly blocks blocks peace because it keeps one looking a little too far. So, th- so then, the, so the question then is to hone that in a way that helps bring. More subtlety of refined focus into the real present so that that movement into longing doesn't dislocate into looking for something or looking for a special state. So you can keep exploring that to refine it. And the same with intimacy and partners, uh, you know, that can translate, it is a very natural human longing and it's connected with our deeper. Needs, you know, both for love, for security, for connection. But we can also look at ways of fulfilling those needs, which, yes, can be in the in the guise of someone coming into relationship with us, another person. But that can, that can also be more immediately um, nourished through having a deeper relationship within ourselves with this body with our experience, with the natural world, for example, with actually what's here and now, even with the breath. So it's not exactly the same as having a relationship, which is more complex in some ways, but it's actually still looking at that need and looking how to feed that need with what's immediately here so that that can actually become a source of nourishment as well. Um, but um, yes, yeah, so it's a lot—a lot to explore to dis- begin to distinguish um, the, the the range of those energies. You know, when there's something supportive, when we can distill um, wisdom, and, and or have them guided by wisdom, or when they just become an agitation, or even subtly dislocate us from what's really present and already what we're already in relationship with. Uh, but thank you. It's a great question. Yeah. I'm going to come back to you in a minute, but I said I'd go to, to you first, and then I'll come back. Yeah, Yeah. I'm wondering, um,
1: yesterday in the, in the interviews you mentioned, I think it's Dogen, the quote, um, we study the self in order to forget the
0: self. Uh, I said, um, it's a different one, uh, the um which is using the mind to understand the mind, to, uh, to go beyond the mind. Okay. Mm. Well, there is one that's that's also often quoted, yeah, study the self, go beyond the self. Mm. Yeah, so I feel like I've studied
1: the self extensively mm.
0: and, Yeah. and uh, I know it
1: really well, and uh, and there are parts of yourself that, that, are, that are wonderful. Mm. Um, and I think, it's, I guess the question is, and ex- there
0: are moments of transcendence and there are I'm wondering how, when that, (laughs) if you could speak to that, the part of the forgetting the self, when, in terms of studying the self, that sort of shifts or becomes more of a transcendence or a forgetting of the self. Um, Yeah, I probably wouldn't myself um, frame it as a forgetting of the self, Um, but, um, you know, as an honoring of the self, structures of self, and, and contemplating them as you're talking about, an understanding, probably more the, the 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 correct function and placement of self, um, in terms of its ability to help us negotiate the world, you know, or provides boundaries. It's a it's a it's a medium of negotiation. It's a it's a repository of everything that we've known um, and so on. But there's there's also a limitation within the self structure, and uh, and the way that it filters. Bec- Due to its preferences and conditionings, so there is there is the transcendence of the self, or going beneath the self, or beyond the self. Um, not necessarily that just through forgetting or or abandoning, um, but through listening more deeply. And this this I mean, we'll talk about it as the retreat goes on more. I think this will be addressed more the this dimension, but more immediately, this very practice of awareness is. In a way, going into a, a allowing, I think there is a piece in practice, and it's it's uh, talking this morning. Seven A. I. We're talking about how in our culture there's so much definition um, and and preferencing, pre- how so much preferencing given to the the definition of the rationale, and the and the you know and the self is very much caught up in that, and the cognitive frames. But actually there is a piece, a very, very important piece of reality, which is, if you like, you could frame it within mystery or within the unknowing. And actually when you look at the word in Sanskrit of wisdom, prajna, it has, when you break down that word, it has the, 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 the suffix, is pra, is, and the nya, the nyan, yosis of knowing, the, the pra means actually before something is known. It's before the dualist or the, the, the an aspect of mind called Mano vinyana, which goes out to name and designate and creates difference through language separation, whether that's projected inwardly and generates the sense of self through cognitive function or outside. It's a very important function, but it tends to be the only function we know. So in the meditation, that starts to subside. We don't give that so much preferencing. And then as we start to enter the territory of the jitta, which is, you know, if you like, the deeper heart, mind, then we're moving into this unknowing. It's got the nature of knowingness, but it's also got the nature of mystery, um, which isn't, um, it isn't something that, um, the, by mystery doesn't mean to say that it's divorced from us, it's actually the deepest intimacy so learning to listen into in the way the fathomless awareness of the heart which is connected to profound intelligence and wisdoms which comes and emerges through intuitive knowing so this in a way is you know is known often through the functions of self through the, the thoughts but it actually doesn't originate from the self you know so i just sort of rather probably see it more as dimensions or layers or you know how we're moving in and out rather than just, I'm getting rid of the self, because I think that's a mistake. It's just like the right placement, but to recognize, actually, that's not the only game in town. <laughs> 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 uh, so, Shahar is that how it's So, sorry, I'll just go to you and then I have one more here. Please. It, yes, yes. Yeah.
1: Rising up from my heart, and I could clearly perceive a big hole, a big hole in my heart. Mm-hmm. The big hole ab- absorb and drive me produce some desires. Some desires are concerning sexual desire and money desire and the power desire, and drive me produce some. Evils, evil mm. thoughts, mm. evil criminal thoughts, mm. Mm. criminal emotions. Mm. And uh, my question is how to, how to feel this whole, mm. mm. just like the universal whole, mm. black hole? Yeah. <laughs> how to, to feel this whole is yes. well being and happiness
0: yes, yeah. during the meditation? Yeah, thank you. That's a good question. I think i firstly like to say that uh, we we all experience this to varying degrees this 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 you know this hole or this void that gets filled with these you know different forms of sometimes longings sexual or for money power or as you say also sometimes violent thoughts can come um and we get we are aware of all of that you know but to understand that the in the awareness There is a a safety in that awareness because there's discernment and choice. It means we're not actually having to act on those impulses. We can choose. The more awareness, more mindfulness, the more choice. When we're not aware, we can just get carried by those impulses. So awareness, uh, as the Buddha said, he called it the flood stopper, stops the flood of those energies. Um, and then this replacement. So that's the first step is what we're doing now. It's just, it's fine to be aware of this, what we're here for, to be aware of these impulses. But to, to actually, as we become aware and you feel that whole, then I would recommend uh, most immediately to, um, to bring that awareness to where that's felt in the body you know, where that hole is felt. And you just take the breath there and the awareness there and you can bring loving thoughts, you know. You can bring a thought form like, may I be well? Or, or may this be filled with, with love? You know, So you can bring a thought form like that and you can actually feel that it starts as a thought form but then you can feel uh, love for, for yourself, uh, for the body uh, and And just allowing the awareness uh, itself to be f- to begin to feel fill that hole. but um again, as the retreat goes on we'll explore these compassion practices more that help to um heal and uh resolve some of these um more um sort of in a way primitive um tendencies that we all carry for for um you know For something that we feel is a lack. It comes out in a distorted way. But don't worry about it. We're all working on it. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Shahara, we're going to meet so we can talk uh, now. And uh, I think, sorry, um, any more questions can bring, we still have lots of time for our small groups. And you can also sign up if there's anything more pressing to see Yong or Jeannie can help. So what I um before we go into just a, an announcement um I would like to just uh, um bring in a little bit more into the walking meditation that helps support this insight and inquiry that we're doing or the opening of awareness to contemplate our experience more um and this is uh, from the Burmese school of Plu Saido who was a forest master at the same era of Ajahn Man, Ajahn Cha. Um, these were sort of, in a way, a generation of great masters that came out of the forest traditions of um, of uh, Southeast Asia and whose a lot of their practices and teachings were drawing on. And Tongpu Sayadaw taught a, a, a way of practicing in the walking called rotating the senses. Um, and so this is working more consciously at the sense door uh, in a way, often sometimes when we're doing samadhi, we sort of feel like this sensory impingement can be a problem, and then we get into this thing of closing down the senses, which is which is good; it has value. But then we also want an integrative practice where it becomes more fluid in relationship to sensory experience. So this, in this practice, as we're walking. Um up and down on our path, and you can try it if you're going for walks or if you're walking down to the dining room. You can try it first of all by maybe stopping on your walking path and then as you get more used to it, you can try it as you're walking. It's just bringing awareness, I so say like for example, um, to the um, not for example, bringing awareness to seeing, hearing, feeling, and posture four domains. So the first one is just taking a few moments to bring awareness to seeing. Um, But in a particular way, because usually seeing is very powerful in terms of how it activates our dualistic consciousness. We're looking at at you, and immediately i look at you, there's a me. (laughs) There's a me in you, and in between the subject-object, all sorts of dramas unfold, as we know, (laughs) the last millennia. So so in this way of seeing, the encouragement is to just soften the gaze so you don't actually pinpoint a point of seeing, although you can and explore that. But for now, more soften the gaze and so it's a more global seeing. And so when I do that now, I can see more the whole room and I feel the me and the you is part of a whole rather than so separated out. So just an allowing uh, what is seen to come to you more. And so that there's there's exploring this receptive um, relationship rather than so more active and pinpointing. So a moment of seeing, a moment of hearing, or moments. And again, just listening purely to sound without going, I like this sound, I don't like this sound, or what does it mean? Or creating a whole story about the sound. It's just listening. A moment of feeling, rather again going, oh, why am I feeling like this? And God, I always feel like this, and or I, oh, I want to feel like this forever. It's just feeling, <laughs> knowing the feeling in the feeling, pleasant, unpleasant, etc. And then noticing posture, and then carry on with your walking, and then again from time to time practicing awareness at the sense doors. Okay, announcements. Um, from the managers please put away extra sitting supports cushions that you're not using if you if you're not using them you can put them at the back just to help keep the space a bit clearer and to continue checking the board for any announcements from managers um, who are communicating with us um, through their notices okay otherwise have a great day